So we're going back to our foundations, and that's what we're looking at tonight. God told the church at Laodicea, wake up and strengthen that which remains. Last week, we looked at what is the foundation that still remains in this country and that is necessary for us to remember and to wake up and hold fast to. And that is the liberties that were originally uh, set forth as a nation in our independence from Britain is so that we would know that by nature's law and nature's God, all men were created equal. And that this nation is in the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness for all. And it has failed, and we have failed through the years, but we're not to trash and tear it all down. We've got all of this foundation to build up and to correct and continue building the hope and the future of this nation. Amen? Can I get a witness on that? Amen. Now, some of you might say, well, I thought I came to church tonight. I don't need a civics lesson. But uh, you know what? When you talk about the Constitution and you talk about uh, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence, you're, you're talking about a Bible study because most of it was rooted and grounded in the Judeo-Christian ethic. And, and if we're going to stand, we need to be a pillar for people to look to and help gauge Everybody's watching TV, everybody's listening to podcasts, everybody's watching the news. They're trying to figure out where to position themselves. It's really hard because I got to tell you, you know, uh, the different leaders, uh, uh, one might be taking you one way, but you just don't like the attitude, and the other's going another way, and you don't like the direction, and it's hard to figure it out. And so, what we have to hold to is what are the truths and what's self evident through Scripture. Amen? So last week we looked at the Declaration of Independence. Tonight we're looking at the Constitution. And this Constitution is rare. It is amazing. Uh, It has lasted longer than any other nation on the earth as a surviving Constitution over 200 and some years. Uh, Most others go through riots and changes in their Constitutions, but not the United States so far, and we want to keep it that way. And so the Constitution says this in its preamble, we the people, that's a tremendous statement, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, I don't think we've arrived. So we're still going to found ourselves in the pursuit of a what? More perfect, a more complete, we need to work on this a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, we do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So this purpose is, can you agree with this purpose? Should we work towards this goal? Yeah, and and even where it has failed and where sin has entered in through the years and through, uh, you know, uh, people's sinfulness from all different uh, categories, we need to continue to pursue this. Look at the key words here. In order to form a more perfect what? Union, unity. We need to agree together. Why? To establish justice. There's been a number of areas where justice has failed and not prevailed, and we need to create a plan for better justice to ensure domestic what? Tranquility. We don't have it right now. But that's because of the failures in the past, and people are trying to uh, do something to get 
some attention to get it right again. Now, you have to understand how to get it right again. That's the key. Again, we don't want to tear it all down. Our goal is tranquility, to provide for the common defense. Common defense of what? It's citizenry. Promote the general welfare, everybody's well-being, all peoples in the United States, to secure the blessings of liberty. Liberty is costly. Many men and women have given their lives to protect the liberty of this nation. And so it is costly. We want to protect those blessings to ourselves and our posterity. How many of you know what a posterity is? That's your children and your children's children. I'm a little nervous about my grandchildren, what kind of a nation they're going to grow up in. I want to preserve liberty and justice for all, for them. I had a childhood that was pretty amazing in in what I grew up in. I want to provide that for my children. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. We are the most free and the most prosperous nation on the planet. Now, look at we're we're in a we're in a place right now where there's tumult. But you know what crisis always brings a plan for two directions. Either crisis is going to bring a collapse or crisis is going to bring a fix. Crisis exposes a problem. So don't worry about the crisis. Don't freak out. This is an opportunity for us to create a better way than where we were before. That's what we're looking for. See, we got to be a people of hope. we got to give the people around us a hope and an expectation that we've got an amazing foundation to build on. This thing ain't going to crack. This thing isn't going to fall. And we take them back to these founding declarations. And so we have been the most free and the most prosperous, and we're going to go forward in this. And so one of the first things that the the, uh, writers of the Constitution did is they separated the powers. Brilliant. Separation of powers so that there's a check and balance. The reason they did this is so that the federal government was made up of three branches so that there wouldn't be a despot, there wouldn't be tyrannical leadership from one entity. That by splitting it, there's a check and balance. And we're split into three governing bodies in these United States for the purpose of balance. And I don't know if you know this, it's based on the scriptures. Based on Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, where the Lord says, The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. It is he who will save. Those are the three branches we have in our government based on Scripture. And an equal division of power. What are those three branches the Constitution speaks of? The executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. All right? Now, how are those represented? The executive branch is the president, the vice president. Okay? And so he's the leader. He's leading the, the country. Then there's the legislative branch, the House and the Senate. House of Representatives. They represent all the states and all those who uh, are the people. And the Senate. And then the judicial, the Supreme Court. Now, how many of you know that when you have anything made by man, it gets corrupted by man? So we've had failures in each one of these branches. And right now, it's a mishmash. We've got to get back to having really... Here's the key. Can I, can I tell you what the key is? Men's hearts. Men's hearts. We've got to begin failing. Uh, praying, because men's hearts are failing. 
And, and if, if you're looking to the Democrats or if you're looking to the Republicans to fix that, they can't fix hearts. But there is a power on the earth that can change hearts and change the course of the heart of the king, can change the, heart, the course of the heart of those who are in the Senate. Our greatest effort, remember, we're called to prayer as the church in this hour. Our greatest effort of prayer is to change the hearts. Okay? Don't, don't be praying in the abstract, God, change the legislature, change the judges, change this. Pray for their hearts to change. Pray for them to have an encounter with the living God. And you'll be amazed to see what God can do. Because the system's in place. It's the hearts that are failing. And so this is what we're looking for. And so as we go forward, I want to bring you to the situation of the Bill of Rights added to the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution was signed in 1787, September of 1787. We wrote the Declaration in 1776. It took us this long till 87 to get the uh, Constitution ratified. Now, many of the framers uh, felt that the Constitution was flawless, perfect, covered everything we need. Uh, but there were some who said, no, we're, we're lacking. We need something added to this Constitution. And in fact, George Mason refused to sign the Declaration of Independence. There were a number there who were part of the delegate of the Declaration of Independence. As they all went up to sign it, there were a few who, who recant, didn't sign it and said, we're not done yet. We need a Bill of Rights. We need to protect the people's and the individual's rights of the people in this nation. And Madison said, no, the Constitution's got all of that in it. We're just getting redundant. I think it's covered. And they said, no, you can't. So uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to Madison, and he said, look, it, a Bill of Rights is what the people are entitled to against any government on earth, general or particular, and what no government should refuse or rest on uh, inference. So we, we shouldn't say it's inferred in the Constitution, and, and we've seen what courts do with trying to decide is something constitutional or not constitutional, if there's some inference to whether it is or not. That's why they said, no, we've got to have a very specific bill of rights for the people that lay it out. And so tonight we're going to look at the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And Madison finally agreed with Jefferson, and when Madison uh, drew up the Bill of Rights, he, he drew up the First Amendment, the 45 words of this Bill of Rights. Let me read to you the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 45 words, that's the First Amendment. This amendment is absolutely crucial. And how many of you know right now, this is where the conflicts are arising? So we need to look at that. It is a very small percentage of people who know what's even in the First Amendment. We've got, sorry young people, but they're not, it's not your fault, they're not teaching this in college much anymore at all, but 
we need to understand the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights. And the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights has five freedoms that it's trying to protect as a nation. These five freedoms of the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights sets the United States apart from every other nation on the planet. And we've got to protect them. So what was the first one? Religion. Freedom of religion. There... They were coming out of the tyranny of England that had the Church of England that ruled over the people. If you were English, you needed to belong to the Church of England. Catholics were persecuted. When they had a Catholic king, Protestants were persecuted. Went back and forth as a war. The founding fathers, even in the United States in the early stages, they were having wars and fights. Puritans didn't want any Baptists around. If you came to Rhode Island, you needed to be this or to be that. Rhode Island was one of the first ones that gave independence to religions. And so what they did is they said the government shall not impose a state religion on the public. There's no American church, okay? There's the freedom to practice and exercise your religion, and the government will not run religion. There will be a separation between the religion and the people. Now, that didn't mean your religion couldn't have an impact in the public square. In fact, if you were to attend any of the councils and, and uh, conventions of the Constitution and Bill of Rights, they began with prayer. They, there were numbers of proclamations for fasting and prayer to Almighty God. And so they were overtly Christian. But even being overtly Christian, they gave allowance for those who were deists, those who were uh, uh, Jewish, those who were other religions. And they said, there's no national church. We give man the right to decide if he wants to believe in a God. There's even room for atheists in the United States to believe what you want. We're not going to rule any religious belief over you. And so the, the government cannot rule in the affairs of the church. That's essential. How many of you are happy about that? Amen. Amen? Right. Now, the second part of that is there is the free exercise thereof. So the, the government can't put undue restrictions on religious practice. It must recognize the right of the people to believe and worship, or not worship, or believe, as their conscience decides. So you can't impose a religion and you can't block what religion is doing in people's lives. Freedom of religion. This is important. This is important because uh, there is a move coming against Christianity in this nation. And because many Christians are ignorant of what their rights are, they may fall to this. Now, we've had this even in the conflict with the COVID thing. Now, in the state of Michigan, they... They never barred us from assembling. We could assemble up to 300. We chose not to, as many churches did, to cooperate with the health issue. It was never, meant, uh, it was never a government suppression of churches' rights. Not in Michigan, anyways. This was us saying, we don't want to spread the coronavirus, so we're going to do this for the health benefit of our people. We were walking in agreement. But there were some states where they made a legal rule that you cannot assemble. Now that's unconstitutional. 
against the First Amendment. You could ask the churches not to assemble, but if you make it law and if you put uh, some kind of fine or something against churches from assembling, now you violated that First Amendment right. The government can't do that. So we cooperated. Now, when it came time as well, they were giving out finance for, uh, from the government for, for churches and small businesses because of the loss. Many small churches were failing because people couldn't pay their tithes and, and go forth. So they put it out there to churches and small businesses. We as a church declined. We said we don't want any money from the United States government. We uh, prepared ourselves to, to get ready for what may be coming down the road, and we said we'll take care of ourselves, thank you. But we did not want to untangle ourselves with the government. So we said no, and we didn't even apply. So that's where we're standing, and that's what we're believing for. Now that's, that's the first freedom of religion. So whether you like it or not, someone who is Muslim can come here and should be freely able to worship as a Muslim or as Hindu or as Buddhists. And so the government can't restrain that. Therefore, the government can't restrain us from sharing the gospel with Muslims and Buddhists and anybody else and atheists that we can reason together and discuss what are the religious topics. And the government cannot stop us from doing that. We have the right. Secondly, freedom of speech. Second part of it, we shall have freedom of speech. This is so important to the American belief, almost a kind of secular religious tenet for many. And uh, so it is very important to have the freedom of speech because in other countries, and I've been in a number of communist countries, you do not have a freedom of speech. Okay? I don't know, many, uh, it's been about 20 years, maybe 15 years ago, we had a, a man from China, Professor B. He, uh, he came here and he was imprisoned because he made a joke once about the communist red book of Mao. Just a flippant remark, and he spent about five years in prison. No free speech. You can see it right now, what's going on in Hong Kong, and uh, uh, students and people who are trying to have free speech. We've always had free speech from the beginning. People criticize George Washington. People speak up and have these issues. But we're in a move right now where that's in peril because we have what is being labeled as hate speech. And I found this sign very interesting that I, I got from, we condemn freedom of speech that hurts other people's feelings. That's ridiculous. There's nothing you can say that doesn't hurt somebody's feelings. I mean, if you're going to relate hate to hurt feelings, you know, if I tell you your hair looks long, get a haircut. It looks like you're, or gee, your hands are dirty. You hurt my feelings. That's hate speech. Now, of course, listen, even in the concept of a freedom of speech, what relegates is hate, what is determined as hate, it, that's something that you have to learn to walk away from. Now, if it is something that is threatening, now we're in another realm. We've crossed the line of freedom of speech. If I'm threatening harm, if I'm threatening abuse, if I'm threatening your liberties, now you've crossed the line from the freedom of speech. 
But there has always been the uh, freedom to say your opinion, say what you want, whether it hurts someone's feeling or not. That's just being impolite. That's just being rude. That's just being mean. But there is no legal precept that says it's hate speech if it hurts someone's feelings. There's a lot of people who have their feelings hurt every hour of the day. You've run into them, I'm sure. Now, I've, had, uh, my, I've been called a hater and to my face, and I've been rejected, and I've been uh, castigated for uh, standing against uh, gay marriage, all right? And that's considered hate speech. If I read the Bible and I speak about homosexuality, or if I speak against uh, whatever sin, adultery, if I speak against fornication, sex before marriage, because the Scripture talks about holy sexuality, that can be considered hate speech to a particular group of people. I'm not saying anything uh, that is against their character or quality. I am speaking about a particular uh, sexual activity that the Bible says is against God's nature. But that will be considered hate speech. In Canada, that is considered hate speech. And pastors cannot preach from the pulpit against uh, gay marriage. So we may be moving there. Another form of hate speech would be crying out against abortion because that hurts women's feelings and those who uh, want to keep the right of abortion. And so that would be considered hate speech. I don't consider that hate speech. And what's really important as Christians, we have to evaluate how we speak to other people. The Bible says we're always to season our words with the salt of grace. We're to speak with grace, and we should not have hate in our hearts, all right? So when we're speaking things that other people consider hateful, I don't want to have hate in my heart. That is not my intention. All right. So there's what's on the books for law and the government, but there's more importantly what's on the book of God's heart, God's book in your own heart. We should not be spiteful. We should not be crass. We should not be rude. We should not be hateful. We should speak with love and grace always. Amen? Amen. But still standing our ground for what is true. Freedom of speech. Then there's the freedom of press. This is very important, the freedom of the press. It's the expression in public to question uh, authority and to debate public issues. Now, the press used to mean what was printed, but then you can move into TV, you can move into radio, you can move into podcasts, and you can move into your phones now and uh, emails and all sorts of the press. The minute you publish it or hit Send. It's considered published. Okay? The minute you download it or put it on a flash drive, put it in your computer, it is considered published. So do we have the freedom to print and to publish and to criticize leadership in the United States? Yeah, we do. But as Christians, shouldn't we have a higher level of attitude on what we will publish and what we will print. I'm not on Facebook, and I thank God that I'm not, because uh, I have been told by many people, if you would see what some of the people of our church write on Facebook, you would be aghast. It's like, I don't want to read it. I don't want to cry more than I am already. (laughs) 
So as Christians, you can have, a, have an opinion. You can have a radical opinion about anything you want. And you can publish it. But are you wise in what you're publishing? If you're standing for Christ Jesus, are you wise in what you're saying and what you're putting out there? Are you putting out there what is right and what is true? Remember, everything we say must be backed up by truth. And so check your resources. Don't just go by what you heard by the latest podcast of somebody. Check the facts. So know where you stand. But it's important to have the freedom of the press. But we have a problem right now with our freedom of the press. And that is, most of, the freedom, most of the press is biased. And so we have got to find out. Thank God for the internet, because without it, we wouldn't know what is real. Because what's happening is, large corporations, funding and money, is what's driving public information. But I thank God that I get a newsletter every minute, an update from heaven, that I can discern and determine. You know, there's some headlines people go, did you read this? Can you believe that? And I'll look at it and go, that is, no way. That is so far-fetched. I can't believe it. But it's in print. Yeah. You check the sources and check it out and you find out it's not true. So we've got to be careful. Because the press is supposed to be unbiased and objective. But we've lost that concept is no longer an honorable profession. It's now an opinionated one. And what really bothers me is there's no longer the, the aspect of healthy debate. Have any of you noticed that no one wants to get into a dialogue? The minute you disagree with someone, their feelings are hurt, and they call you a name. That is not dialogue. That's not even a debate. As believers, please, have your opinions Share them. Share them. Dialogue with people. But never accuse or go after someone's character. You're crossing the line then. Jesus never attacked someone's character. He didn't say to the rich young ruler. It says he looked at him and loved him. And so there's one more thing you need to do. Sell all your finance. He knew what was going on. The guy had set money up as his idol. So Jesus turned to him and said, you are an idiot. You are such a loser. And you have to be demented in some way. Do you remember when he said that? No, he didn't say that. Jesus would not attack anyone's character. He pointed out the flaw in his argument. He pointed out where he was wrong. But he had loved the person. Can you speak to people that have an opposing viewpoint from you and love them? Share an opinion, an idea, if they reject it, if they call you an idiot, if they call you a hater, can you bless them and walk away? Because your heart has got to be right with God. Remember at all times, I don't care what you're defending, you represent Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we thank God for the freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. This is really important because we wouldn't be here tonight if we didn't have the opportunity to assemble. It's a right to gather in peaceful public protest. I can't think of anyone who did a better job than this, most amazing, than Martin Luther King. 
probably did some of the greatest work ever in civil rights, and he understood, this is the genius of Martin Luther King, he understood these First Amendment rights. He knew how to get into the press. He knew how to hold public assembly and peaceful manners to accomplish his goals. He changed so much, but it didn't get changed enough. And so we've got to be careful. Public assembly is right. For people to gather and to shout and to claim signs and to, and to walk and to demonstrate is something America has always done, gives freedom to do it. You can have two opposing views standing right next to each other. I remember marching around the courts in the city of Detroit when I was uh, protesting, again, the, the, the uh, uh, gay marriage amendment, and, and I was... It was funny because when we first got there, we started in a circle, and so we were walking, pastors walking in the same circle as uh, those who were pro-gay and lesbian rights, and, and we were marching together in a circle. And it was a peaceful protest, both of us having our opinions. And I finally thought, you know what, I just need to talk to somebody. So I spent the rest of my time talking to a couple ladies that were for it, and we had a good discussion on what this law meant and what it was going to accomplish and why, why we were opposing. And they had some insights. They got to hear some things about the gospel. And so it's right to assemble, but there's, it goes wrong when it becomes this. This is not the freedom of assembly. See, when we cross into that which damages private property and personal belongings, you are no longer following the freedom to assembly. You are now rioting and you are now breaking the law and the Constitution itself. So when our duly elected officials who are to uphold the Constitution and the laws of this land to protect the liberties and the life and properties of people will not do anything about this. There are two failures to the Constitution, those who are rioting and those who are doing nothing. Now that's not a party statement or a political statement, that's just a fact of the Constitution and the people's liberties. If I've got an official that will not protect my business, my life, investments, and job, and my own well-being, that is not someone you want in office. Let's go on. Last of all, the freedom to petition. This is genius. How many of you know that you can have a good idea and not execute it well? How many of you know that once you execute an idea, it might need some tweaks and changes? So what the founders said is, we may not get it right. And as the culture changes, as we move from an agricultural society to an industrial society to a, a, a software society, we may have to change the way laws are done and the way we count and the way we do and fix tax and so forth. And so we have the right to petition the government to change the laws. That is powerful and that's amazing. That's why it's so important to protect the right to vote. It is so important. Each one of you has this in your back pocket, the freedom to petition. And in November, you will have the freedom to petition the government as to who your leader shall be. For you to forsake the freedom to petition or the freedom to vote or the freedom to say something may create such a problem in this nation. 
And what is so sad to me is where it says, uh, uh, according, it's not as high as it used to be, but still, uh, according to the polls, that uh, about 70% now of Americans say they are Christians. And yet, the laws of the land and the votes were not going out and voting. If we would petition according to the Word of God and vote biblically, we would have a different form of government right now. So please, consider these amazing amendments and these amazing petitions. These are the five. Now what's interesting is this. There is no legal age you have to reach to exercise your First Amendment freedoms. You can be 10 years old. You can be 8 years old. You can be 70 years old. If you're an American, you can participate in the First Amendment freedoms. They are guaranteed to you the day you're born. There is also, catch this, no citizenship requirement for First Amendment protection. If you are in the United States, you have the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom to assemble, and freedom to petition. And you do not have to be a citizen. It's just not to vote. I'm not talking about vote. I'm talking, you have to be a citizen to vote. But I'm talking about living under these amendment rights in the nation, okay? The First Amendment is neither left-wing or right-wing. It can be used to push any social or political change. It's for everyone. The First Amendment protects us against government limits on our freedom of expression, but it doesn't prevent a private employer from setting his own rules. Employees can establish their rules as long as they're not breaking the law. The First Amendment prevents government from requiring you to say something you don't want to or keeping you from hearing or reading words of others. Students have the right to pray in America's public schools as long as there's no disruption to school operations and no government employees involved. So our children still can pray in school. They just can't stop the class and ask for prayer and so forth. But Nobody understands that typically in public schools. They will cause students to be kicked out of class or whatever. So we've got to understand what our rights actually are and exercise them freely. I conclude with this. As Christians, not only do we have these First Amendment rights and we've got to get them right again and we've got to get them balanced But we should always carry these rights with the Spirit of Christ and walk in these attitudes of Christ-likeness. Amen?